Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI, that's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And today, we're honored to have Amy Bassano, Deputy Director of CMS's Innovation Center. And we have her in our virtual studio today on an auspicious occasion or maybe an auspicious year. This year, the CMS Innovation Center is celebrating its 10-year anniversary after being created under the Affordable Care Act in 2011. And we've got Ms. Bassano here to lead us through what those 10 years have looked like and what maybe the next 10 years uh, are going to be. Prior to assuming her deputy director position in April of 2016, Ms. Bassano was the director of the Patient Care Models Group at the CMS Innovation Center, leading CMS's efforts on bundled payments. In addition, she was responsible for the home health value-based purchasing model and the Medicare Care Choices model. Prior to her tenure at CMS, Ms. Bassano was a program examiner at the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, where she was the lead Medicare analyst on Medicare Part B and D issues. Ms. Bassano has an MA in policy studies from John Hopkins University and a BA in history from Tufts University. Amy, so very glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Oh, thank you for having me here, Matthew. I'm very excited to be talking to you today. Very good, very good. So um, tell us a little bit about your own personal uh, journey. Uh, you're now Deputy Director of the CMS's Innovation Center. Uh, what, what led you here, given your uh, experience in history? An interesting journey, um, a little bit personal, a little bit professional have sort of led me here. Um, uh, it was around uh, healthcare a lot growing up. Uh, my father was um, sick a lot when we were when I was a child. Um, you know, we would call it immunocompromise today, realizing it was never a term we use. But you know, when he had a cold, everyone or when we had a cold, everyone had to stay around him to prevent him from getting cold. So I was very engaged and aware of healthcare from a, from a young age, and uh, but thought I wanted to go to college to you know become a diplomat. I, w- I went to Tufts because they have a great international relations program, but. When I got there, I decided I was much more interested in the domestic end, end of policy. And I um, eventually went to uh, Johns Hopkins for my, my policy degree with a concentration in healthcare and um, got accepted into the Presidential Management uh, Intern Program. It's now known as the Presidential, Presidential Management Fellows Program. And uh, started in, it was then HICFA's Office of Legislation. For those who don't remember, Healthcare Financing Administration was the predecessor or the, the previous name of CMS, um, was, and uh, was in the Office of Legislation, and then spent some time in the Office of Management and Budget, um, working on prescription drug issues, running up to the, um, the passage of the Medicare Modernization Act and the implementation of Part D, and so then got to come back to, to CMS to implement the Part B drug changes, um, which was very exciting, and then it was in management and started to run the physician side of thing, the physician fee schedule and Medicare fee for service. I've been a Medicare person for the vast majority of my 
career and then ran, oversaw all that and uh, hospitals, physicians, the Parpy drugs, and kept getting promoted and all these opportunities kept coming along and really loved it, had great deep commitment to public service. And then about um, seven years ago, the Innovation Center had been created and was sort of still in maybe past infancy or toddlerhood and uh, was asked to come over to CMMI to run the bundle payment program uh, and some of the other ideas that they were, were starting up and sort of thought, sure, I'll try that out. And um, really enjoyed it. And then um, just about five years ago, had the opportunity to move up further to um, become the deputy director of the Innovation Center and have really, um, uh, it's been great, such a great honor and privilege to help the agency and the center along over these past uh, six or seven years and really um, grow out um, the things we've been trying to do on this movement to value and um, really just sort of working through all these issues that we've, uh, challenges. And the, the Innovation Center has been really exciting for me because I've been a, a policy person and for most of my uh, career running those payment systems. But the Innovation Center is especially challenging because it really is um, policy and operations combined. And so that has been some of the most interesting uh, part of it, of like the, you know, reconciling, like, here's a great policy, but what are you, how are you actually going to get that done and make it happen? So there's been, uh, you know, it's never a dull moment at CMMI and lots of uh, exciting things and, and plenty more work to do. So keeps it interesting for me. Very good. So, Ms. Bassano, that's a great story. Uh, what I think is interesting about that story is you had uh, personal um, personal experience with healthcare when you're a child, and then you uh, later uh, worked uh, deeply in policy, and now you're saying you're working with operations. And um, uh, I spent a little time in uh, post-Affordable Care Act at CMS, and as soon as we got tired with the policy stuff and knee deep in regulations where we're wading through all this stuff, we used to remind ourselves that um, we are saving lives here and maybe on a large scale, even if we're just working out, you know, what the word provider means for hours and pages at a time. So I think that it seems to be something special you bring to it because you actually experience something very close to your, your, your life and your family growing up with healthcare. So you know important, how important healthcare is. Yes, absolutely. And that reminds me, whenever things get tough, you just remember, like, there are real people behind all of this. And, like, whether it be my dad or my grandparents or, you know, neighbors, friends, other loved ones, you know, there's millions and millions of Americans who depend upon the Medicare, Medicaid programs. And, uh, you know, that's ultimately keeping the patient at the center of it is sort of like what keeps us all going, what we like to, you know, my colleagues and I like to remind ourselves of. I, I think that's huge, patient at the center. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the Innovation Center, CMMI. It's now 10 years old. Uh, you've seen a lot of that history. And maybe start with um, the the Innovation Center's own uh, origin story, right? What, what was the intent uh, of the Innovation Story, uh, the center to start with? And then, you know, maybe give us a report card. And is has it fulfilled its mission? Has it got... Uh, has it broadened its scope? Uh, maybe touch on some of that. Sure. So it was created as part of the Affordable Care Act as a, to test alternative payment models in Medicare and Medicaid. And so it is looking at different ways to pay for services, looking across the programs, trying to break down silos or other um, barriers that exist in the programs. We have a waiver authority to waive uh, payment uh, rules and requirements. Uh, there's other specific waivers in Medicaid. And so we've uh, tested about 50 different models over the course of the, the center's history to date in a variety 
of different areas. There was a lot of effort early on in the center to look at you know, what the portfolio would be and where did we want to invest in, in this movement to value, recognizing that Medicare fee-for-service was not working. You know, you could certainly make improvements in Medicare and Medicaid. And here was, you know, an opportunity for, you know, a research and development arm of CMS or, you know, a lab to test different ways of doing this. And so Congress was giving us this particular authority. And so early on, we looked at investments in primary care, in state-based models, in bundles, um, in provider, you know, education of, you know, getting uh, folks ready to this movement to value. It's a big change. What does it mean to take on risk? What does it mean to like look at things in a different way? Also very engaged in multi-payer alignment, meaning Medicare, Medicaid didn't want to do this alone, that we knew that our partners, our other health plans and payers would need to be partners with this. And so we're looking at how we can engage with others to work on this together. And so I've sort of built that out. The portfolio has evolved. You know, we've done episodes and specialty models and, um, you know, in a variety of other areas, looking at prevention and, and um, population health works. And, and so it's just evolved over time. And we continue to think about new models and what we've learned and what has been successful I think, you know, the way the statute was set up, it was a 10-year um, appropriation that automatically renewed. So I think Congress was anticipating that our work would continue on, but this would not be a one-and-done type of thing. And so, you know, imagining us existing for an extended period of time. And so now we are, you know, 10 years in and doing a lot of reflecting on um, what we've learned in that period of time. And not just what we've learned, but also what the in, how the industry has adapted, how healthcare has changed overall, um, the healthcare landscape has changed overall um, in those 10 years. Very good. And so of those payment models that you, you've um, you've tested out, have any been more successful than others? Any shown uh, promise? So we've definitely learned a lot from every single model. Um, the statute <laughs> has a, um, a definition for expansion, if that is sort of you want to call as your measure for success. And so we've had four models that have met that expansion authority. And so the goal of the models by statute is to ultimately reduce cost and improve quality or combinations thereof. And so four of those models have met those uh, requirements and have gone on to either <clears throat> development in other programs like um, our first ACO model, the Pioneer ACO, which became part of the Medicare Shared Savings, or to go through the expansion um, more broadly, like our Medicare Diabetes Prevention Program, or we're now in the process of expanding through rulemaking, as the statute requires, our home health value-based purchasing program. But there have been a number of other models that have also sort of shown positive impact where we have chosen to develop a successor model because we've been learning important things from it. It may have not met that expansion criteria, but we think it's in a really important area to continue to invest in, such as primary care, where we've had iterations of that. Or in our Maryland model, um, we had a first one that was focused on um, inpatient hospitalization. Now we're in a Maryland total cost of care model, looking at services more broadly across the state. So there are a number of areas where we continue to learn and iterate on and or invest in, in you know, new areas that... Um, we uh, think are really important. 
Uh, and I think that's a, a great point that you point out. You know, it sounds very similar to the commercial sector, the idea of an incubator, right? Like some models um, uh, show promise, and when they show enough promise, then you pass them on to a more uh, structured, uh, regulatory, maybe, uh, environment uh, where you grow it even more. Is that Do I have that right? Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it, that, you know, some of those have met those requirements, and so we're moving them on. They may, run, they may be run by other parts of the agency, like MSSP, um, or they're, you know, they just continue to, to stand alone, like the diabetes prevention program. And I like the idea, too, that uh, programs also don't have to meet those standards. There can be what others might see them as failures, but you're taking lessons from all of them, right? Absolutely. Yes, we've had many uh, models where we've learned something from any of them. And even it could be that this is this does not resonate. You know, we had low enrollment in this, so we couldn't get critical mass. And so we take back and think about, well, what could this make this more attractive to the potential participants or what could we do to make this more sustainable? So there's definitely um, lessons learned from from every single model. Very good. So uh, thank you, Ms. Bassano. And when we come back, I'm going to continue our discussion with Amy Bassano, Deputy Director of CMS Innovation Center. I want to ask her what impact the pandemic had or, or maybe what we've learned from the pandemic that might have impacted the Innovation Center's work. For now, let's take a quick break and hear from our producer, Michael McNutt. Learn how healthcare is leveraging automation, patient data liberation, and federal legislation and regulation to repair the industry's knowledge and data supply chain at Wheaties Annual Summer Forum, July 27th through the 29th on Zoom. Use the code PODCAST to receive 15% off our already affordable registration rates. Sign up as an individual attendee or take advantage of our group registration, which allows everyone in your company to participate and benefit from this valuable event. Learn more and register at Weedy.org. It's the annual Weedy Summer Forum, July 27th through the 29th on Zoom. We're back and we're talking with Amy Bassano, Deputy Director of CMS's Innovation Center, on another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Uh, so, Ms. Bassano, uh, just coming out of a, well, I'd like to think we're coming out of a pandemic. I guess there's still a question about that. Um, from your point of view, in being in healthcare innovation or policy innovation, uh, did you see the pandemic as an inhibitor? Uh, did it slow down uh, where healthcare should be headed or did it accelerate it? I think early on, it was sort of everything slowed down a little bit, trying to figure out where everyone was going. The agency certainly didn't slow down. We collectively, all CMS, were very much involved in thinking about how we could make sure that we were not inhibiting uh, people getting the care they needed. So you saw the agency put out a lot of rules and guidance with waivers and other flexibilities to be able to deliver the care in new and different ways. Um, certainly, I think telehealth is the one that comes to mind most frequently for people about, you know, the uh, waiving all of those requirements for Medicare telehealth uh, eligibility and providing those services. And there's, we've just seen the astronomical uptake in that and a lot of innovation happening in that space for people utilizing those, those services. And as consumers and patients, I think we've all um, gotten used to it and have become familiar with it and sort of been much more convenient, nice to be able to just, um, you know, click on the, whatever the link is to see your doctor when you have a quick question or need something instead of having to go to the office and, you know, do all the things that that entails. I think from the Innovation Center side, though, we saw that 
um, providers and participants who were already in our models were in a bit of a better place at the beginning of the pandemic because they already had those waivers for telehealth and they had other flexibilities and they were more familiar with working in a non-fee-for-service environment. You were used to different ways of getting paid for their services. And so they were able to... Um, you know, generally become, be more flexible and to adapt to the changes that were happening faster. I think over time, um, you know, everyone has sort of been able to, to adapt in different ways, but I think we see so much happening now because of the, the pandemic of just care being delivered in different ways and innovation and things that um, uh, we could not have imagined a year and a half ago happening so quickly. And so it's been very exciting to see, but also as sort of the agency and we're, you know, making sure we want to make sure that patients are protected and that there are, you know, all the appropriate um, uh, rules in place so that there isn't, you know, fraud or abuse of this and that the, the patients are, you know, getting the care they need and not being um, taken advantage of in any way. And that it's truly legitimate services being delivered. Yeah, I, I think two interesting points about uh, what you just said. Uh, the first is that the, the 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 models that got away from the fee for service um, not only had greater flexibility, uh, but they did better under when the system became stressed, right? When the system had to deal with something that was world changing, right? And the other thing, which uh, I think is interesting, is we we talk all the time about how um, the pandemic pushed some innovation forward in terms of how healthcare providers had to turn and 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 change their operations and and their business functions. Telehealth was a good example, but you also say the effect on the consumer was similar. We we're we were used to change, and we too were very uh, I think very flexible to switch to a telehealth and, and to get very comfortable with that as consumers. And so that says that maybe uh, innovation won't uh, shake our world too much either, right? There might be might not be too much of a backlash if our healthcare system continues to innovate because we're actually much more flexible and adaptable as consumers than we might think we are. I think consumers are really happy with services that can be delivered to them in more convenient ways that sort of are adaptable to the way they and their families are living. And so I think they'll, they're willing to innovate and, and go along for that as long as it's something that really is giving them value as well. Good, good, good way to, good way to say it. Um, and, and talking about innovation, let's talk about automation, uh, specifically artificial intelligence. And uh, I understand that recently the Innovation Center announced winners of its uh, artificial intelligence health outcomes challenge. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So a couple of years ago, we were thinking about a lot about AI as everyone was hearing about it. And we were trying to think about, well, what would this look like in our models? What would we need to do to do something in the um, artificial intelligence space? And so we came up with this idea of a, an, uh, a challenge. And so we partnered with the American Academy of Family Physicians and Arnold Ventures to run this um, artificial intelligence challenge. The goal of the competition was to accelerate the creation of AI tools, um, such as deep learning and neural networks uh, that can predict negative health, health outcomes of Medicare beneficiaries, really looking to see, is there anything that we could do that could really predict and prevent um, negative outcomes? And so we did not have a lot of, we, CMI, did not have a lot of knowledge in this space, and um, but we knew others did, and so really wanted to learn more about what was already being done in this space. And so we, we launched the challenge. Um, as I said, it was uh, two years ago. 
And it was uh, really an iterative process as we learned and we got you know, information from our um, uh, submissions. And so ultimately, um, earlier this year, we did announce that Closed Loop AI won our Healthcare Challenge uh, Award. They won a million dollars in prize money. And Geisinger, uh, a nonprofit healthcare system in Pennsylvania, received the, um, they were the runner up and they received $230,000 in prize money. And so it was really looking about how um, uh, we could evaluate their algorithms on how well they could predict unplanned hospital and skilled nursing facility admissions and adverse events. And they had to predict it along a 12 month mortality along the Medicare beneficiaries. And so we we went through that process and, and they were there were winners. We had a lot of uh, things we learned uh, during that process, in, including um, uh, implicit algorithmic bias and how we could potentially uh, address that or thinking about how it could be embedded in the, the algorithm and distort the results or the outcomes. And so that was something we specifically asked the finalists to demonstrate that they had addressed this particular issue and that, and you know, how it could affect health disparities in their, um, in their uh, submissions, um, given that um, we don't want to do anything that could further um, make uh, health uh, disparities a bigger problem through the use of AI. And so we were um, really uh, interested in see what they came up back with that. And the other factor was uh, explainability, meaning that how could they explain these results to um, improve patient care outcomes, because uh, we can't understand the results. It really doesn't do anything for us. And so explainability in AI, I've come to understand, may not always be possible, but um, we, we really wanted to sort of focus on that, though, to think about, you know, what would this mean? How can we explain this? And, and why would it become useful? Because if Medicare is going to be adopting this, you know, we have certain um, requirements or believe in transparency and want um, people to understand why we'd be making certain decisions. And so using AI for that uh, purpose would, would, you know, comes with some of these other um, expectations that we have with it. Right, right. Terrific. And and Closed Loop, the company that won the uh, the contest there, will uh, be at Weedy Summer, Summer Forum. They'll be discussing their winning submission and more. That summer form is July 27th through 29th of this year. Look at weedy.org uh, for more information on that. So I'm interested, uh, Ms. Bassano, on um, some of the participants. It sounds like you had a major health system. Uh, closed Loop, was that a private company? And what other kind of participants did you get to um, jump in? Yeah, so I think they were um, uh, participants from all sectors, not all uh, healthcare. So anyone who was sort of working in this space, I thought this, I think really thought this was an interesting opportunity and came in here and through this sort of iterative process that we had, we sort of narrowed it down to these two. And so um, was exciting for us and our team to engage with um, organizations who we don't normally do. And they were engaging with us because they don't, you know, some of them don't normally engage in healthcare. So it really was a um, learning experience for, for all of us involved. And I think we're uh, thinking about how we can, you know, use these sort of challenges to, to help uh, us learn and, and innovate. And, um, you know, now we have uh, friends in lots of different sectors or people we can continue to learn from. So it was very much a, a beginning, uh, beginning of our engagement in this. But I have to say, as a disclaimer, that these um, are not a, as exciting, but not in any way a substitute for clinical judgment and back to sort of the explainability issue as well. 
um, that we don't want to take the place of the clinical judgment of the physicians and other providers who bring the services to the patient, but that this could be a tool in a toolkit to improve health equity and um, outcomes. And so uh, just, you know, exciting when we can, you know, keep uh, making that toolkit bigger and giving um, folks who are delivering these services more um, opportunities and, and options for them to, to, deliver, to deliver the best care to the patients. Terrific. Terrific. I, I, what is fascinating to me is one of the lessons learned, you said, was that idea of implicit uh, bias. Uh, and that is not the, that's not the computer's fault, right? That's not the artificial <laughs> intelligence fault, right? That's the, the person who's programming it. And it's fascinating that you still have human error, even when you're turning to, or you still depend on humans, maybe, mm -hmm. in general, when you turn to uh, uh, things like uh, artificial intelligence. Yes, definitely. Yeah, there's, and so it's been a really interesting to just think about what does it mean? How do you test for it? How do you look at it? And so I think it's something many people are thinking about and we'll all get better at it as we get further along in this, but we don't want to do anything that could further, um, you know, make it worse or to make it, uh, you know, to really continue to sort of um, institutionalize those biases even further. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so Ms. Pisano, as a, as, a, as a healthcare leader, certainly, um, where would you like to see the healthcare industry in five to 10 years? And, and this could be either policy driven or you can have us on spaceships, wherever you want to go with it. <laughs> that would be fun. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, so we are going through this um, strategy refresh right now in CMMI and thinking about what our next 10 years hold, given, you know, we're in this sort of second 10 year period. And I think we want to see a healthcare system that is continues this movement to value, where value really is at the center of the services, along with the sort of patient-centered aspect, which I mentioned earlier, um, in a way that um, we can really address health equity, that you know everyone is getting the best care, um, and that this value-based services are really helping to to drive that. And ultimately, of course, that you know we're having doing this at a, a lower cost. Uh, the Medicare uh, you know trust fund is. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's financial issues there and that, you know, that was part of why CMI was created to help um, address the cost of these programs. And so hopefully we're achieving those, those cost savings, improving the quality, improving the um, equity issues and uh, really moving, moving to value. And people are thinking about, uh, you know, getting care delivered in, in unique ways. And hopefully CMI will have had a, a big uh, part of, of driving those changes. Very good. Very good. Uh, before we leave your uh, leave our, our listeners, any resources you'd like to uh, point the listeners to on some of the things we talked about today? Sure. The uh, the CMS and the CMMI websites are always uh, the source of of all information. Um, we are always updating the CMMI webpage, um, which is sort of embedded in the cms.gov website. Uh, I think there's a tab there for innovation, and we have all of our information about our models or challenges or evaluation reports, which um, we didn't talk about, but you know, all of our models, they are tests and they have, are, are, um, have evaluations that are looking at how well these things are working. And so there's lots of great resources in the evaluation reports we have, um, which are, you know, can be multiple hundreds of pages, but we also have uh, at a glance documents that I think are really 
useful for a sense of like, what's going on in next generation ACO? What's going on in comprehensive primary care plus model? You know, so you can see the, the latest sort of in a page or two of what's learning in the models, in addition to everything that is coming up, new models that have been announced, applications um, of model participants. So I think our, our website really is quite comprehensive and has lots of information there and, and links to other information and places to click on if you need more information, if you can't find it there. So um, I think we, uh, that, that's a good, good place. And, uh, you know, our, our partners as well in our model participants, you can see who they all are, but they often have a lot of good information themselves on what they are doing because each model participant takes it on slightly differently. We try not to be particularly prescriptive and more outcomes focused. And so, you know, a health system versus a individual physician office versus a post-acute provider or a state, they're all doing it differently. And, you know, check, check out their websites too, because I think there's a lot of good information there if you want to delve deeper into any particular model. Excellent. What, what it sounds like too is your, your website has a nice range. Like I could spend a half hour there and probably learn a lot, but also if I need to do my PhD thesis, I could learn <laughs> really have a lot of information, right? Yes. Yeah. So there's lots of, I mean, if you play around, there's lots of places to access additional data sets as well. If you get, want to get really deep. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, uh, thank you, Amy. This has been a great discussion with Amy Bassano, Deputy Director of CMS's Innovation Center. Amy, thanks for being on our show. Thanks for spending some time oh, with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Good. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.